If you've got a Bible, could you please turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read the first 11 verses. So verse 1. So I exhort the elders amongst you as as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is amongst you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those uh, in your charge but being example to the flock. And when the chief of shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Slide. Fantastic. It's going to keep you awake, Dan, this isn't it? Stop you from going to sleep in my sermon. Humble yourselves, therefore, under... The mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around uh, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that at the same uh, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm very aware, as the guy that's leading the church, that we are in the midst of a, a a very changing season. In fact, uh, of late, our season seems to be constantly changing. And uh, uh, you just think, hello, will we ever uh, settle? So this morning, what I'd like to do is just reflect where we are as a church and speak into that. And uh, so uh, the last time that I spoke, I spoke on the subject of expectation. The, if you like, the law of expectation is the, is the such thing that you know, of a of an atmosphere of expectation and uh, I've been thrilled at the the response and how people have have looked at the prophetic words and how actually some people have started to pray that Wednesday prayer meeting didn't come out of uh, a leadership team decision, it came out of a spontaneous thing, we need to pray about these things and I love that where where God begins to speak and suddenly people begin to uh, respond uh, looking at uh, Rupert's notes from uh, last week in, in regard to his excellent sermon where he put all the uh, prophetic words together. Uh, Twelve pages of them uh, I've got, uh, which uh, Rupert did and uh, just thrilled at, at, at people's response last week, just telling me uh, about that, what they felt about that, stirred by that. And uh, I, I was just thrilled to be away and to see God speaking uh, to us. And uh, next week, what I want to do is look at Jeremy Simpkins' prophetic word. When we were at Borderlands, Jeremy uh, delivered a prophetic word to us as a church. And I'd like to respond to that and say, okay, what does that mean to us? I want to do that next week. Uh, But today is more pastoral. So uh, if you can change the slide, Dan, I want to focus on verses 6 and 7, where it says... uh, 
humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you so okay slide done let's uh, uh, set the scene and uh, in the lead up uh, for those verses Peter quotes uh, a proverb so if you press it again Dan uh, the proverb is uh, the, uh, Proverb 3.34, where it says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God has a, a habit of doing those two things. And he will do those two things. That's uh, something that he, he comes out of his heart. Uh, he will oppose the proud and he will exalt the humble. So according to which category you're in, uh, you can find that God will uh, work that through. Normally, uh, we will go through both of those as an individual experience and probably experience both of those things. But the example that we have in the Bible, uh, two wonderful examples are are King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And uh, very struck by these two people and the contrast that these two people bring uh, into us. And uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar stood on the roof of his palace and he said this, which I I, I always read this and go, no, don't do that. Um, But it's there in scripture so that we can learn. But he stood in front of uh, his, his palace right on the roof and he said, is this not great Babylon? Is this not great Babylon? Which I have built with my mighty power. And you think, please, Nebuchadnezzar, do not say that. But he did. He stood on and he said, look at this, what I have built. I always think it's a dangerous route to go down, isn't it? To start, and even in our workplaces, our attitudes, our hearts, to actually take that position of how important we are and how life will not be able to continue without me. Look what I have built. This Babylon thing is my success, my building, what I've put into it, it can't do without me. And there are so many things, aren't there, in life about that whole attitude that challenges us. And I just look at it and think, don't do that. Please don't have that. You know, this church cannot survive without my ministry. Yes, it can survive without my ministry. The church will, can survive without Nigel Lloyd. It isn't built on Nigel Lloyd and Nigel Lloyd's ministry. It isn't even built on Callie Lloyd and Callie Lloyd's ministry. It's built on God. And we need to know that in our hearts. Except we look at Daniel, don't we? And we see that he was taken into exile in Babylon, far away from family and everything familiar, in the midst of his enemies, his throne eventually into lions and uh, God does raise him up and uh, what does he say about when God raises him up he says look at what I've done no he doesn't he he says I fear the Lord the king I fear the Lord and we know that God did oppose Nebuchadnezzar and we know that Nebuchadnezzar's pride did have a huge fall and that he was humiliated. I don't know if you remember this, but if you go on to read the end of the story of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, it says that he was driven from his own kingdom. The kingdom that 
that he built, he was driven from. It says that he had to live, this is the king, and he had to live amongst wild animals. It says that he had to eat grass because there was nothing else to eat. It said that his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. Who knows what that looks like. And it says that his nails grew so long that they looked like the claws on a bird. And this is the, this is the result of him saying, look at look what I've built. Look what I can do. Look at, what, look at my talent. How important my talent is to this. But what did it say about Daniel? I love this. It just says this. It says, Daniel prospered. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I fear the Lord, but Daniel prospered. Now let me encourage you to those who are in, very, in a very unfamiliar place to find the courage to say this, that in all circumstances, I will fear the Lord. I will not build me. I will not build a me empire. I will not build people to me. It's not about me. I will build an attitude in the way that I am that I will encourage people to fear God. And there's a promise. It says there, you, God gives grace to the humble. There's a response for that humble position that, that comes from God. It says, he will give you favor. More than that, he will come to your, your aid. He will give you grace. There's grace. There's God's unmerited, undeserved favor for those who will humble themselves. He blesses, what does it say? The poor in spirit. God blesses us. I love the 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, uh, verse 9, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. It's a magnificent statement because God obviously doesn't have physical eyes. He doesn't need to have physical eyes. He's omniscient and omnipresent. Um, nothing escapes his notice, he's aware of all things, he's even aware, Gavin, of what you're thinking right now. Can I just say, don't think that, just, just repent quickly. But, but, but although he's aware of everything, he's looking for something in particular. Isn't it wonderful? It's like, what do you, have you ever thought like this? I wonder what God is looking for. What, what does God look for? What's God seek out? Does he really need to seek out anything? He's God after all. And he says in that scripture, doesn't he? He's looking for something that, that acts like a magnet in regard to his attention, in regard to his presence, in, 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 that he's in looking for something that will, will move him. What moves God? And it says in those verses that God is decisively drawn to humility, to the person who is humble, blameless. And suddenly, this person grabs the attention of God. He has God's attention. And in this sense, there's, a, there's an attracting to, towards his grace that comes to him, his unmerited favor. There's something that you can do to attract 
more of God's gracious, undeserved, supernatural grace, strength and assistance. And that is for us as a people to be humble. God moves in a people who are humble, who will have that attitude of humility. So the quotation from Proverbs leaves on to our passage. Hit, Dan. Okay. So what we're going to do is look at uh, things in this order. First comes an instruction. What is that instruction? Dan will press. I'm going to keep you waking. We probably need to change the batteries in that thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humility is a matter of humbling ourselves. I humble myself. That's simple, but it's true. It's not making others they need to it's not making others see that they need to be humbled. It's actually saying, no, I will humble myself. I will put myself in a position of humility. I will take the low position. Now, who is Peter writing to? He's writing to the church. And the church gives us a bucket full of opportunities to be humble, does it not? (laughs) Isn't that what church is like? And church is the context of humility. You see, in history, what has happened is that we've taken humility out into sort of man's relationship with God on his own. I, I, I separate myself and I become this humble person living on my own. Now, that's not the way that it works. God places us in the church so that we can demonstrate and learn humility. That's the way that he does it. Church is the opportunity. That's why church often is not good. Don't you realise that? You think, hello, this church business, it's tough. It's a pain. I find it difficult. Yeah, that's right, because God is teaching you humility. He's using the agent of all these strange people around you and the even stranger person of yourself to teach you about humility and about yourself. That's what he does. That's why you should be in a church. And And Peter's people were suffering And it was likely to get worse. And his answer to them was, okay, I know your situation is going to get worse, but let's, how are we going to deal with a worsening situation? And it's this sort of counter argument, isn't it? How do you deal with difficulty? And Peter says, humble yourself. It's not the way that you would react, is it? But that's the way that the Bible tells us. So when difficulties arise... It is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves. Let's earth this. How does this work? Well, obviously, it's in the context of church. So every time there is a, there is, um, uh, every time there's a quarrel uh, in church life, uh, there is an opportunity for humility. So every time that you bang with somebody in church life and you think, okay, this person needs to know exactly what I think and feel about them. There's an opportunity for humility. You can have the last word if you like. You can stand your ground if you like. You can make your point if you like. Or you can take a position of humility. It's entirely up to you. But I know which way that God blesses. Every time there's injustice or unfairness, There's an opportunity for humility. 
You can choose to be bitter. You can choose to be angry. You can choose to work to rule, if you like. You can say, I'm no longer going to do this and that and the other, the other. I withhold things from you and you can choose that. You can choose repayment. You can choose resentment, whatever you like. Or you can choose to be humble. It's God who provides these opportunities. It's often what we do is that we go, it's that bloke, Steve, again. He's said something, done something. He does my, the common phrase is, he does my head in. That's what he does. Having Steve in the church is a real pain in the head. He does my head in. Think of every church has got people that do their head in. Actually, you have realized that, that? It's you. You actually do everybody's head in. And it isn't Steve. It's the way that it works. But can I just say that we often see this as personal, and that's the way that we deal with it. We deal with it in terms of this is a personal attack on me, or I'm going through this, and this isn't like this. Let me get this right into Scripture. Scripture says it is under the mighty hand of God. Ow! What? It's the mighty hand of God. So I don't know whether you've ever realized that, that when you are going through something and you feel like things are not working out to plan, I don't know whether you've ever taken the stance, this is God's mighty hand. But that actually is what God wants you to do. Because he wants you to know that he's trying to conform you to the image of his son. That's what he's trying to do. And he's trying to do that through teaching you humility. And make who himself, if you remember, took the form of a servant. (laughs) I don't know whether you've caught this yet, but it's God working in our character. That's what God is trying to do. He's trying to work into our character. Now, nobody's saying that this humility lark is not going to be hard. Of course it's hard. It's a massive cost to self. There are times when... I, I feel like the only answer is to come out fighting. I think I've been in some situations uh, where Callie and I have thought the best answer to this is I will give them the truth whether they like it or not. The answer to that is the only person that's only going to be benefit from that is me. Because I'm just going to feel that I've vented and here it comes, let me vent what I really think of you. Boom, But that's not going to have taught me anything about myself, is it? It isn't. It's going to be a massive cost to myself. It's not either putting on a disguise and pretending you're okay and things are really wonderful. But it is a way out. How do you overcome all these things that go on? God gives you a way out. It's an opportunity for God to work in your life. So, okay, Dan, uh, next slide. Next comes uh, a promise. And the promise is, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So humility is not something that you sort of just have to take on the chin for the rest of your life. So, Phil, Dan, the answer is that you haven't got to be battered for the rest of your life, and that is the way that you're going to be. That's the good thing. So, uh, there's a promise here. Humility will be rewarded with exaltation. 
humility will be rewarded uh, with honour. This promise is meant to help us when we find ourselves in painful and humiliating circumstances. You're going through it and you're thinking, I'm in the middle of this. You just think, okay, right. I know that uh, there will be an exhortation that will come. And you need to know that when it's agonizingly unfair. Felt that? Felt that one? You have to nod. No, you haven't. I've never felt unfairness in all my life. I've lived a life where actually God has been for me. It's been wonderful. I've just had the blessings of God forever and ever. You bunch of liars. Come on. (laughs) You know. Isn't it difficult? I just said it's difficult. It's, it's when it's difficult to hold back those sharp words when people react foolishly and unreasonably and often with hostility. It's when you know that you are not the recipient of grace and you are not the recipient of mercy, that when you are the recipient of things that are not true, that are unfair, that are wrong... Uh, you've got yet when you have to know there will be a time when I will be exalted it's when you know that things that have been said are not true and you are the only person that knows that this is the truth and that what is out there is a lie how will you deal with that I need to have my flag up that says no this is a lie no God says no take the humility position and I will exalt you So let's look how that works then. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. uh, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But when he continued, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So we will be exalted. Now, what does that mean? It means it comes with some conditions. Because this isn't the point. If I just take this on the nose, batter me to death for a little while, what will happen that in a while I'll be exalted? So it isn't like being in the ring with one of the Clisco brothers and just saying, if I can get to round 10 and my face can be battered, don't worry at the end of it, it's all right because I'll be okay. It isn't like that at all. There are some conditions that come with it. So would you like to know the conditions? Thanks, Phil. I'm glad you're the only one. Can you nod a bit more vigorously? Because these are not nodding. Okay, thank you. Okay, here's the conditions. We have to humble ourselves without even the slightest attempt um, to exalt ourselves. What do I mean by that? Because what happens is that we we can do two things in regard to taking a position of humility. We can almost bribe God. Lord, I am taking this very low position because I know that one day you will exalt me. So I'm very happy, Lord, to do this lowly thing for you because I know one day they will all see that I am a superman and they will exalt me to my rightful position. That's bribing God. That's just not the way to do it. And that's what some people can do. Look at me, I'm humbling myself because I know. The, the other one is that what you can do is that you can blackmail people, emotionally blackmail people. So you can say to people, look at me, I am taking the, 
I'm taking the humility position. And, and what you do is you draw people to you and, you go, and people go, but I believe that you are actually the new Terry Virgo. I know that you are taking this humble position, but I believe that you are wonderful, you are magnificent, you are good-looking, you are the best preacher that ever will be, you can lead meetings, you are a great drummer, you shouldn't be doing that. And that's, what, that's the effect that we can do with people. We can sort of say, I can take this humility position, but you're not taking a humility position, you're now bribing people to make you feel wonderful. So that doesn't work, actually. So let's mix that. That's one. Secondly, we have to allow exhortation to come in God's way. Peter says, he will exalt you. That means that we don't take any position other than he will do it his way, and it has to be his way. It doesn't have to be our way. It has to be his way. So we have to say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this full stop. There is no conditions on it. And if God wants to exalt me, he will do it his way. The other thing that he will do is not only will do it his way, that means he will do it at his time. Because what we can do is, I can just take this lowly position, because I know that after four weeks, not only will the people see, but God will see, and they will reinstate me back to this wonderful position of being Terry Virgo. And that actually, he will exalt you, means that he will exalt you, not only will he exalt you in his way, he will exalt you in his time. Now what does that mean? That means that you may have to do this for the rest of your life. What? How do I know that? Because our, our exhortation ultimately comes when we are in heaven with him. That's what our ex- So it could be that you might have to take this lowly position for the rest of your life and be content that you will be exalted in heaven with God where you will be seated with him in heavenly places and your exaltation will be finally complete. And that alone should be comfort enough for you to take that position of being humble for the rest of your life knowing that God will ultimately exalt you but it might be in heaven. And you say, okay, I will be exalted, but it, it will be then. And I think, yeah, that's enough for me. And I want to ask you, is, is God's exaltation in heaven enough for you? Or do you want to be exalted on earth? Is that what's important to you? Because this is the way that God builds his kingdom. God builds his kingdom on a people who, who are satisfied with an exaltation in heaven. Okay, Dan? Next one. Then comes another instruction. And the instruction is casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter sees the link between the proud and anxiety and humility and freedom from anxiety. The product of being proud is anxiety. The product of humility is deliverance from anxiety. So in humbling ourselves, we cast our anxieties on him, upon God. Now why are people proud? Why am I proud? Why can I be selfish? Why can I be arrogant sometimes? And that's because I am full of self-concern. I'm full of concern about me. 
And I don't know whether you've ever noticed this. Probably this doesn't happen about you. But what happens is me that when I'm concerned about me and the way that things are going in my life, it produces self-pity in me. That's the way that I work. So I, I, I'm bothered about that, which in turn, when I'm, when I'm feeling uh, those things of self-pity, produces actually some most irrational motives. I behave most oddly, which of course doesn't happen to you a lot because I know that you are all godly people, but it happens to me. That, that I, I think things happen to me, I think in a particular way, that produces self-pity, that produces irrational things that I say and do. That's the way that it happens in me. In you? No. Fibbers? And we become anxious because what we're concerned about is how is my reputation doing? How is my reputation doing? We become, we become like that because we want to we wanna ask this one. Uh, um, how, how is it that I'm being treated? How is it that I am being treated unfairly? How is it... I don't know if you've ever heard this one. How is it that nobody understands me properly? Nobody understands me? They don't understand me. That's usually the argument, isn't it? Sometimes it's an argument in marriage. I don't know if you've ever noticed that one in marriage yet. Have you ended? Tim, Rachel, no? Uh, you, Tom, you have? Fantastic. <laughs> How many wives have you got, Tom? Uh, and it, it just happens, doesn't it? You, it's the argument that comes. You don't understand me. What I think, what I want. The other side of it is that we contrast and compare with others what, what they have and what, 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 what's happening with them, that God is obviously blessing them and not me and all that sort of stuff. Now, what happens with all this sort of thing is that it leads to what I call introvert or extrovert reactions in our personality. We become withdrawn sometimes because we think that I am not being treated fairly. So you can become withdrawn. Or you can do the opposite, which means you can come out fighting with that. So I'm being treated unfairly, therefore I'm coming after you with all my vigour. It's interesting that uh, when I was looking at this in a a book uh, on counselling, the counselling said it's unpredictable how people react in this situation. Because what can happen is that some people can, be, can become withdrawn because they feel that life is dealing them things that are unfair. And sometimes that withdrawn person can come out fighting. And they said, it's unpredictable what can happen. He said, you can actually have things where they're withdrawn one moment and come out fighting uh, the next. And uh, maybe that's you. But what I, it says also in the book on counselling, interestingly enough, on this subject about casting our anxieties on him because he cares for you, that if we don't solve this problem, it can lead to two things. One is depression, and the other one is sickness. And I was just struck by that, that our frame of mind can take us down into, a de- into depression and into physical sickness. Now, Peter has a remedy for this, and he says the remedy for this is cast your anxieties on him. And he's talking to the church here, saying we should do this collectively. Now, there are two words that are very important here, and I know they might sound simple, but actually they're very profound. 
And at the end of it, I'm going to get you to do one of them. So I, I, all those gifted at the end of it, we're going to sing a song, but we're going to do it with a, with a drama. Okay? Because as you know, that God has gifted me with expressive dance. And, and I'm going to le- lead you in that. What? <laughs> you think you're joking, but uh, you're helping me. <laughs> so, okay, let's look at these two things. I just want to do that because there's nothing... You know, sometimes in sermons, you don't need grace to change people. You need a good dose of fear. And, and so this is a good dose of fear, thinking in five minutes I've got to do something that is terrifying. And that, that's just good. It's all right. There's no grace here. We're going to do this by fear. So let's, let's worry through all the rest of it. Just so you're going to do it. I would respond like that, Phil, because you're up here with that. Oh, no. You can do it with one hand. <laughs> that's the best expressive dance you're getting from me. Anyway, it's going to be expressive drama. Okay, right. Uh, why are you rubbing your head? Okay, that's the effect it's meant to happen. Okay, right. First thing is, what do these words mean? Casting. Let's look at those first words. Casting. Casting means throwing. And actually, the word that is used here is only used once in the Bible apart from here. And that is where the disciples throw their cloaks on the donkey that is going to take Jesus into Jerusalem. Now that is very descriptive and now you can see the drama. It speaks of something firm and decisive. We utterly refuse self-concern. We take off physically our, our anxiety and we put it on the donkey's back which is God and he's going to carry it for me and I'm not, exe- I'm not expecting to see that again. I have to take it off. I have to place it on. I have to say goodbye to it. That's the way that it is. There is a disrobing that has to take. I'm no longer going to live like this. I'm going to disrobe this part of me and place it onto God. That's the first thing. So we have to come and remove our cloak of anxiety and we have to throw it at Jesus. Now Peter says this. He also says all your anxieties. It doesn't mean one of them. And one of the ideas that I had here was that I, and I, and I changed it. I was ferreting around this morning in all the cupboards and I'll be in trouble when I get back because I'll go, you've been in those cupboards. I know you've moved. I don't know whether husbands, you have a wife like that. But <laughs> you, you don't. Well, I do, Denzel. I have a wife, excuse me, I have a wife that goes, that, you move that yogurt three millimetres. So I know you've been in the fridge. I know. Just know. I'm just going to take the the humble position here. <laughs> just take it. It's true. So I, in the end, I thought I was trying to find a load of post-its. Couldn't find them. Teeth. <laughs> What I was going to do at the end, I was going to say to you, write your anxiety on the post-it. And I was going to put uh, like a, a picture of a donkey up there and go get you to post it. Yeah, shut up. Look, I know it. 
It was not a good illustration, all right? I realised that this morning and gave up. It was not pin on the donkey, no. That's why I gave up. The main thing of this was that I realised that it's all our anxieties. It's not one. And I was going to get you to do one and pin it on the donkey. I thought, no, that's wrong. It isn't. Because what God wants us to do is disrobe all our anxieties, all the things. Otherwise, we'll be partially free. And there's only one. And, there's, and then there's a partial path to humility. Now, what I'd like to say is this. Again, reading a book on uh, counselling in terms of this, very struck by the fact that anxieties can form personalities. So you know people because of their anxiety. They, they actually provide uh, comfort, reassurance, identity, security, and, and you think that is quite strange. But sometimes these anxieties have formed the way that people are. So disrobing is no mean feat. Because actually what I'm going to do is say, I'm no longer going to have this as the thing that gives me my identity, my security. And you can be known, can't you? You can, be, you can actually be known by your anxieties. You, this is so-and-so. And, and they are shaped by these things. That's how you know them. So your family knows them. So I look in my, back in my family and I can look back to people and, and I actually can know that I've described them, not according to their name, but by according to their anxieties and their thing that go. So I, I, know that, I know that Callie's sister was known as the person that sort of has a drug for everything. What do you call that, Miss? What, is it? Vera. Vera. I don't know why she called Vera. No. From the Giles comment, so we know Kate. Sorry, I just hope this thing as Vera, because Vera has is always something's always up. She's always got something. So as soon as something happens, oh, it's this and it's that. And what she does is she tells other people. Now I know that Callie's mom does this. So sometimes what happens is that we have a phone call from Callie's mom, and Callie's mom is dying in, and Callie's dying in three weeks' time because she's had a phone call from her mom, and her mom says, "Yes, now I've experienced that. That must mean that you've got this, this, the other, the other, the other." And I come off it, and Callie's writing a will. And you can have people that do that, that they not only are shaped by their anxieties, they shape other people by their anxieties. And you can feel worse because you've been in contact with them. So it's all your anxieties, and it is a deep... You think I joke, Tim, but it's so true. (laughs) You get lightly off when you go and see the mother-in-law. I don't know what you've done. So how do we do that? We we need to... We need to... uh, We need to give them all up and make a decision that today I am taking them all off. Okay, lastly, last one. Okay, there comes another promise and hit it. And that promise is, the promise is, it's only half a promise. (laughs) It does... Like somebody needs, I'm not good at IT. It took me ages to get the picture on there. Okay. Why do this? Why are you going to take off all your anxieties? That's just bad, isn't it? It's a good job Jeremy Simpkins hasn't seen this. He just tut at me. Okay. Why do this? It's quite simple. And this is because you haven't yet moved into a position of understanding the care that God has for you. 
that you are defined by your anxiety, not by God's care. Because he cares for you, or because he is concerned about you. What defines you? Your anxiety or God's care? Peter's train of thought is this. At the bottom of pride is self-concern. At the bottom of self-concern is a fear that God is not concerned. Nobody cares about me. So what I do is I build up my barriers of what? Self-protection. Heard that? How many times have you heard that? Self-protection. Self. Me-protection. I protect me. It's amazing. The, The God who created the heavens and the earth is concerned about you. And it's his concern that should override and tip your anxiety. And often it's the other way around. And all the things that cause you anxiety. That's why he's asking you and saying to you, would you derobe them? Would you throw them at me? He doesn't like the way that you are. He doesn't like it. He wants you to receive his care. See, many of us have this picture of, of God the other way around, that uh, you know, he's distant and he's holy and he's powerful. And, uh, they're great pictures, but he's also the most caring person that you will ever know. He's perfect in his care. So let's answer the simple one first. How close was the donkey to the disciples when they put the cloaks on the donkey? Very close. Very close. It's very difficult, isn't it, to lob your your coat from 300 yards and hope that it lands on the donkey. The donkey was very close. Do you hear that, folk? The donkey is close to you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it's not hard to take your cloak off and put it on the donkey. Okay, that's that myth sorted. Let's do the next one. How can you care about this irrational, irritated, anxiety-filled mess called Nigel Lloyd? How does he do that? Well, these are some scriptures that you know to conclude. And I want to conclude with them just by reading them and not commenting on them. And I want you to know this. If I can, can I speak this into your heart? So hearts, open up. Matthew chapter 10. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for more uh, m- uh, for a penny, and are w- and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are well numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Do you hear that? He values you. You are valued. Shall we prove this some more? 
because resistance is futile. It's pointless. He actually wants you to enjoy this. He wants you to feel this. He wants you to experience this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? You're supposed to go, yes. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day in its own trouble. (laughs) It is. Look again at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The answer is yes. How can God bother with me? Because he bothers passionately about sparrows and lilies. And even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But you have more value than those. You have more value than those. Let me ask you, The question asked by Jesus, why are you anxious? You have more value. You are valued by God. You are more important than these things. You are important to God. He doesn't want you to live like this. Okay, are you ready for ministry drama time? Okay, band, would you like to stand? The, the one thing about the band looking this way is that you'll be able to see them do it in front of you. <laughs> Would you like to stand? I think you're all worried. <laughs> Without actually physically taking anything off, because at my age that's a really disturbing sight. What I'd like you to do this morning is that, is that just as these are playing but not singing, so if you can just play for a bit, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about the areas of anxiety that form your life. I want you to look, just list, just begin to think in terms of yourself and think, no, these are the things that, that I am often anxious about. These are them. And... Uh, you can just do that just as, as Phil plays. The, these are them. There's one, two, three, and four. Just name, name those anxieties that, that clothe you. And then here's your drama. 
with them. And all you've got to do is, is however expressive you feel that you want to do that, is that you've just got to unbutton those and take them off. And you've got to do that. So you've got to go, this anxiety, I derobe myself from it. And this anxiety, I derobe myself from it. It might be as we're singing this song, there are no hands in the air, because actually we are derobing ourselves. But please don't do that physically. Just do that as as a ministry drama, take it off. And then what I want you to do is that, is that I want you to imagine that the, the, the donkey's there. And I want, I want you to, having got those things off, they're now on the floor. You've disrobed them, they're on the floor. So I just want you to bend over, and I want you to pick them up, and I just want you to place them on the donkey. That's the second part. You can do that as expressively as you want. Do it however. So that'll be however Joanna does it. Or, or if you like Dan, you're just going to go like that. You know. It's going to be a Dan move. You, know. you can do that however you want. Just but, but will you do it? Will you do it? Will you take them off? Will you move towards the donkey and place it on God? And then as we sing this song, would you just put yourself in a position where what you do is that you receive the value of God for you as a person. Just receive the value. Just know the value that God has for you. So that's your ministry drama. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But I'd like you to do it because I believe that as you do that, that God will minister to you. He will set you free. He will release you and you will receive his care.